All right, everybody, and welcome back to the Brew University Book Club Podcast, Season 1, Entree Leadership by Dave Ramsey. And today we're talking about Chapter 13, Three Things Successful People Never Skip. Although we kind of will skip through them pretty quick because they don't necessarily apply to us. Contracts, vendors, and collections is the topic of this chapter. And like many of the chapters we've run into, this one's a little more focused on the entrepreneur, the self-starter, the business owner. But also, like all these chapters, there are things in here we can take away because at the end of the day, it's all about having to deal with people. And this is a people business that just happens to sell beer. So I have assembled a group of people, a fine group of people that I am excited to talk to about Chapter 13, starting with our Human Resource Director in Tampa, Suzanne Borgia. Hi, Suzanne. Good morning. Morning. Ready to talk people, contracts, vendors, and collections? Ready, ready. All right. Chris, are you ready as well? Chris Morgan, our sales manager in Fort Myers. I was born ready. Good. You've been waiting a long time for this moment, but I'm glad you made it right to this. Lisa Velez, our e-commerce director, is here as well. Hi, Lisa. How's it going? It's going well. We're going to talk about contracts, vendors, and collections, so get excited. Dan Endress, our sales director in Minneapolis, is here as well. Hi, Dan. Hi, Jeff. Good morning. Dustin Schatz, our delivery manager in Tampa, is with us. Hi, Dustin. How you doing, Jeff? Good morning. So let's talk about these three things that people, successful people never skip. But again, we kind of have to because we're not in the position uh, that he talks about with a lot of this, which is how to write contracts, how to choose vendors, how to deal with outstanding collections. Not things that necessarily fall into our everyday world, but I think there's Uh, a lot to be said about the philosophy, starting with contracts, um, because he breaks these down segment by segment. You know, when it comes to contracts, the philosophy behind it that I think he's uh, driven by is this idea that people don't change and that a contract itself will not change human nature. Um, It just gives you a safety net when people misbehave, right? People still break contracts all the time. The only thing a contract does is sort of lay out in advance what are the terms of consequences if somebody does. Now, we're not in that position to directly write or accept or sign contracts very often ourselves. Um, But there is sort of an implied contract with our customers, with our suppliers, and even with our employees. You know, we we pay them, they they do work for us, and there's sort of an implied contract to that as well. So I'm I'm curious what you guys thought about the contract section and what maybe we can still take away and apply to what we do. Thoughts? I think something he says about contracts is he says contracts are only as good as the people you're dealing with, so only deal with good people. I mean, that's, again, that's our team members right there, that implied contract when they come aboard or they join us on our teams is, you know, we we want to only deal with good people. So that to me, to me, you know, looking at it in a more abstract way, for, I looked at it with my team members and building a contract with them. Chris, that's exactly where I wanted to jump in as well, is, you know, a contract or any business relationship is only as good as the people you're dealing with. Um, And that can go down to our employees and it can go out to our retailers. Um, Unfortunately, we don't necessarily get to hire our retailers. Um, We just have them. But uh, there are times, and he covers that later in this chapter, that he's had to fire customers And we have too, I have, I'm sure you all have. Um, If they're not good people, if they're not good retail partners, there is a time to cut our losses and move on. So do your best to do business only with good people. I couldn't agree with you guys more. You know, one of our core values is when it comes to both our customers and our suppliers, we want a relationship built on mutual understanding and respect. And I think that's exactly what Dave talks about here is when it comes to a contract, 
the piece of paper is only as valuable as the person you've got it signed with. And if you don't have a relationship of mutual understanding and respect, no piece of paper is going to enforce that on its behalf. You have to have a good person to do business with or else no contract can protect you. And we may not work with the actual signed piece of paper, but we certainly have to work with good people. I do like what he says about the contract being kind of just a front-end communication to... Um, he says they're merely communications for front end to point out the deal. And he says he likes to refer back to them to make sure he's holding himself accountable, um, to what he's agreed to. So in, in that case, I thought about like job descriptions, how often people will come and be like, Hey, can I, can I see my job description or a manager saying, Hey, can I see my, you know, sales reps job description just to make sure that I'm holding them accountable to the things that, you know, we talked about when they got hired. Yeah, being hired by JJ Taylor, you're in a sense signing a virtual contract through our first choice model, you know, to be first choice for our employees, for our retailers and for our suppliers. It might not be in writing. We don't sign a contract, but virtually we are agreeing to that contract set forth by the company. And we need to make sure that we work every day to fulfill that. Yeah, I think at the end of the, you know, in the simplest form, our mission statement and core values is the social contract of our company. We are going to be first choice. We're going to treat you with respect. We're going to expect you to behave like a trusted beer advisor. It may not be on paper in something that you have to sign. There may not be legal force of law behind it, but it is an implied social contract that to come to work for us and be a part of our culture and a part of our team, these are the rules we're governed by. First choice for our people. And if you don't agree to those terms, if you break that covenant, you're outside the bounds and we're going to deal with it in whatever recourses we have. So I do think, yeah, you guys are, are right in on it. Other thoughts on the implied contract or the contract that we're making with our, our employees, even if it's not an explicit one. Even to touch on accounts again, what Dan was speaking of, of firing accounts. I mean, the, the thing I love about working here with JJ Taylor is we we take care of our people and when it comes to the accounts if they are not good people we we won't hesitate to fire them i fired two accounts and one of them was a top 10 independent and the other one had he had five locations but the way they were treating our people was just unacceptable so we told them in a, in a sense you're fired and that, and I, I love that about our company it's we we're not going to put you know, we're going to lose those cases, but we're not going to do that at the a risk of losing one of our good people. So we would rather keep our good people than to deal with a, 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 a person who's not a good person. And I love that. Yeah, Chris, I couldn't agree more. I recently had an account that in a matter of four months has kicked out two sales reps and two of my three sales managers. So clearly the problem is not ours. The problem is his. <laughs> And he is no longer a customer of us. <laughs> that's that's what it's all about. If you're gonna, you know, if you're gonna say our most important asset is our people, if you're gonna say we're first choice, first and foremost for our employees, you better be ready to stand behind it. And I love that every time this topic comes up, managers like you guys are are quick to speak up and say, Oh yeah, I've made that call. I've I've made the call between an employee and a customer or an employee and a supplier, and we always sided with our employees and we've always broken that way. And, you know, we tell these stories in great manager program and we tell these stories here and it's not hard to find examples, new ones every time, because it's so built into our DNA and it's so much a part of who we are that there's always the next example to be had because it's always true. 
And and that is the contract we have, the implied contract, but the contract we have with our teams is we're going to put you guys first and we mean it. Well, it kind of goes back that contracts are merely communication on the front end about the points of the deal is what Dave Ramsey writes in there. And, you know, it's an implied contract for sure. But at the same time, he also says to plan for the best and contract for the best and worst case scenarios. And so, I mean, we've all had those scenarios where, you know, it's whether it was a customer that was just a little bit unruly and we just didn't want to have to, um, you know, we had to kind of make sure that we took care of our employees and um, just kind of came in that way, you know? So it's like absolutely contracting. I mean, I just think it's just kind of, it's, it lays out a roadmap for what our behavior, what dictates our behavior as well as what is expected from, from whether retail or whether our employees. Well, I, I think all of you guys are exactly in the right spot where as we think about this as sort of this implied contract between our employees, between our people, it really is about understanding that human nature doesn't change. And if you don't get the right people, if you don't have the right people involved, you're never going to be in the right spot. Um, so I think it's a, a great lesson in there. I do sometimes wonder too, and you guys can think your thoughts on this with me as well. I do sometimes wonder too, that since actually all of our supplier relationships are governed by contracts, um, this that chapter was sort of an aha moment for me to go, you know, we really don't teach much or talk much about the importance of contracts, but every supplier we deal with has one with us. The franchise law creates some some rules and guidance around that as well. Do you think this is an area where maybe we're missing the mark in explaining and talking to our managers and our employees more about what contracts we're involved in and how they govern our business? And maybe uh, maybe we should do more to really help people understand how our supplier relations work so that as they're out there getting the job done on behalf of these suppliers, because if you think about it, our job ultimately is to execute on our supplier's behalf and our contracts are built exactly that way. They can't do the job. We have to do it for them. Is that an area that maybe we've missed the mark as a, as a company and could maybe do more in to say, we probably ought to talk more about the contracts that we are involved with and our, our responsibility and our duty to our suppliers to execute for them. Thoughts? I've got two things there, Jeff. Um, obviously, there was a Craft Business Daily article that came out yesterday um, regarding the joint venture with Miller Coors and Yingling. Um, we shared that, or I shared that with the sales team because, as you're all aware, we've been clamoring to get Yingling in Minnesota for forever. And um, we may be closer now than we've ever been. But back to my point, um, I shared with them that news and also how important execution is with Miller Coors primarily because being a split house in Minnesota, we have to submit an RFP. And if we don't execute with our existing Miller Coors portfolio brands, we may lose out now on the opportunity um, to get this horse and the other bullets in the Miller Coors gun that have yet to come to Minnesota. So I have shared with them the importance of execution from a contractual perspective so that we can win with more down the road. Um, and the other point I wanted to make was we have had suppliers in the past that have not been good partners. And we have been, I shouldn't say we, the leadership team has been diligent about trading those brands off um, to round out territory lines and distribution lines, but also to improve our stable of suppliers to get the best in the house and let somebody else deal with the others. I, I think those are both great points, Dan. I want to break them down one by one, actually, for a minute, because I think first up is you're exactly right. You know, Understanding the contractual obligations we have is really important as we execute because it does have a huge effect on our future ability to sign deals. 
And reputation in this industry matters so much. And because of franchise law and because of the way things are written, you know, I always say when we talk about the uh, the choice, being first choice for suppliers, like suppliers, suppliers usually just get the one choice, but it's the most important choice they'll ever make. Because once they sign with a distributor, they can't easily unwind that. And so having a great reputation, being the first choice amongst suppliers is key because it may be the only time they get to make that choice. Um, and, and I know that's been a, a huge deal, obviously, with, um, you know, brands in the past in Florida, like uh, uh New Belgium, but also a big deal up in Minnesota with, I think a lot of people may not even realize who aren't there, but Dan's right. You know, just to get St. Archer Gold in the house in the, in 2019 meant our Minnesota team had to go to Miller and say, we want that because we're a Miller house. There's a Coors house across the street. Technically St. Archer Gold could have gone to either one of those. We're in competition with our own partner supplier at that, at that level. And a lot of people don't realize that that's the case, but it will be that anytime a new product launches for Miller, Vizzy was the same way where it could go to either house. We have to be in competition for it and executing and understanding the contract expectations are a big part of that. That's really, really great, great insights. Um, I think it's very important um, from a delivery point of view, just informing the drivers and the delivery team uh, to let them know why we do some of the things we do, why are some of our trailers uh, Cigar City wrapped? Why are some of them Miller Lite wrapped? Uh, why are we building all these displays of this certain product? Uh, just putting the reason behind why we do some of the things um, that helps get their buy-in and you know their understanding of why we're executing and how important it is. Uh, so I think it's very valuable. Oh, Dustin, that's such a great point because you're right. We do. We talk about the whys as being so important to helping our team stay motivated and be bought in. And, and understanding why we do what we do. And yet we really probably don't spend enough time explaining that often our why is contractual. We are building this display. We're getting these points of distribution because the contract we have says we're going to do it. We execute on their behalf. And sometimes that makes a, a bitter pill a little easier to swallow when we go, look, I, I know this may not be your favorite thing to have to go push in an account, but we owe it to the supplier. They, they're betting their business on it. Maybe we don't think it's the best for their business, but that who's for us to say at the end of the day, our obligation is to do the work that they've asked us to do. And they're asking us to do this work. So that that's such a great point is that this really does speak to the why behind what we do. And that's you know so important, but yet we miss this obvious place sometimes. What a great, great insight. Thanks for that. All right. Other final thoughts on, on contracts. And then I want to talk just briefly about some of the other collections and vendors type stuff. Just to quickly jump off what you just said, Dustin, we also in sales uh, have to do that as well. Um, just with our MBOs and stuff, you know, something will come on the MBO and we have to explain to our team, okay, the reason we're doing this is, you know, they're our supplier partner and they want to get to this percentage point of distribution. So they put, we put it on the MBO to help them out because that's what we're obligated to do. So it's kind of the same thing. It's, it's, you know, explaining the whys to our, to our people. So they understand that contractually somewhere to them up in the hemisphere, fear is is these obligations that we have all right so let's talk for a second about collections i know it's not something we're supposed to do we're supposed to be a cash business we're supposed to be cod but occasionally we do have some collection issues a check's not ready on time things like that i did like that he talks a, a bit about it um that you know it's the key is being infirm but fair maintaining the dignity uh keeping in mind that an account probably doesn't want to be delinquent and that we should respect good intentions until proven otherwise thoughts from those of you guys who had to deal with some of that stuff because i think this again speaks to dealing with an account in a difficult moment that collections being one of those, but there's a lot of, of value in thinking that way in general. 
Yeah, I'll jump in on that one. That's half of my uh, deliveries that go out every day. You know, it's uh, you know, these accounts, especially because you know, they're 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 getting to the point that, especially post COVID times, now it's much more important to make sure that we collect payment at time of delivery. And some of these accounts that have been, uh, you know, known to kind of wait a couple of days before they mail on a check and so on and so forth. And and Justin can definitely. Uh, back me up on this. It's like you're having tougher conversations with some of these customers. And, you know, some of it gets to me and where I'm talking to them and I'm, I'm sorry that, you know, this is what you're used to doing. This is what we're doing now. And unfortunately, this is just where we have to be because, you know, we want to make sure everything is whole and I don't want to have to turn around and chase you for a $200, you know, bill that, that you know, break your, to threaten to break your kneecaps or anything like that. It's just like... I didn't realize Lisa had a hit squad. I'm a lot more afraid now than actually. <laughs> yeah. I do. <laughs> we're, apparently, we're sending out goons. I was not aware. You know, I mean, it's just the part of a, the contract that we have here is that I'm selling you beer, and you're going to pay for this beer at time of delivery. I think an important point here, Jeff, is to serve your customers without being subservient. We can do our customers a great deal of service by being kind and listening, and and helping them through the problem rather than just bending over, laying down and saying, okay, 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 it's fine. There's a time for grace and forgiveness, but until we reach that point, serving the customer can be collected. Absolutely. And I and I love that you said that, Dan, because that leads off into the next thing that he talked about that I loved, which was um, his line about forgiveness versus reconciliation. And I, I think that whole philosophy applies to so much more than just financial debts, that the idea he says is, look, you know, I, I forgive everyone because that's good for my soul. I'm, I'm always going to forgive. Uh, but that's not the same as reconciling. And if somebody betrays my trust too many times or or breaks contract too many times or uh, doesn't hold up their, their implied obligations too many times, we may not be able to reconcile. We may not be able to come back together and still work together. And there's a point at which I have to cut someone off and say, I'm not going to do business with you. And I forgive you but I'm not doing business with you again. And I think that's a, a key point as well is to understand that there is that difference emotionally, but also that there is that point of where we say, yeah, we, we've we solved the issue, resolved it, whatever, but going forward, we just can't do business the same way because we're too far apart on how we approach the world. Yeah, my favorite line in this part is uh, where it says, uh, after dealing bad dealings, a couple of dealings have gone bad. If a mean dog bites you, forgive it. If it stay away from it, it bites. You know, it's like, and, and that kind of sums up, you know, where we're at. It doesn't mean that you have to have bitterness in your heart towards the customer, um, but you know, lessons learned, and and uh, you know, it is where it is. And that's that's been true with brands as well. There have been brands that we've reached a point of, you know, we're not mad at you, but we're not the right distributor for you. You're wanting more than we can do. You're you're asking for more than we can give. You you want to be higher on the portfolio rank than we can put you. And so it's time to you know reconcile that relationship by selling them off, letting them go, whatever we have to do. Um, it's it's a constant topic in the industry because obviously brewers wish they had more flexibility sometimes. But I think it really comes down to good distributors with good intentions are never going to hold people to contracts. For the sake of a contract, we're going to do the right thing and deal with the right people. All right, my last thought is uh, around vendors, and he talks about uh, the rules for vendors. And again, he, in this case, he's talking about as a small business owner, literally dealing with a vendor. But his rules for vendors, I think, are interesting because really what he's talking about are the rules for when he delegates, right? So he says if you're going to bring on a vendor, um, they have to be able to do th something better than you can do it for yourself. They have to have the integrity, the capacity, the price, and the quality that you would be willing to offload it and then let it come back and, and have them take care of this rather than absorb it yourself. 
I think there's a lot to be said from that from a delegation standpoint. If I'm going to delegate to someone, which is effectively what getting a vendor is, I'm delegating this this job, I better make sure they've got the integrity to do it the right way. I better make sure they've got the capacity. Um, price, you know, when it's my own team member, what's my time worth versus what's their time worth? Is it a better value to put it on someone else's plate? And quality, are they going to do the job at the right level? So I think there's some interesting thoughts there, but I want to see what you guys think about considering uh, rules for vendors as sort of rules for delegation. Am I out in left field? Am I being crazy? <laughs> no, you just, I mean, you made me think about this in a different way. And I mean, I agree with what you said. It is, I mean, the same rules would apply. Is it more advantageous for us to outsource something or keep it in? You know, I mean, the thing that pops in my head is, you know, like the, the cleaning, do we hire a person who cleans or do we outsource that job? So it's an interesting spin on this. I think a good way to look at it too is because we are the vendor. Um, sometimes it's actually a selling point when you're dealing with a customer, you're telling them all the things that they can delegate to us. We go, hey, this is what I'm gonna do for you. If you let me have this portion of the cooler space, I'm gonna come in here and rearrange all this. Uh, so it kind of works in reverse, but also in the same way. Oh, Dustin, what a great point. I'm so glad you're here today. Uh, this is such a great point. Yes, we are the vendor for many of our accounts. I hadn't considered it, but you're exactly right. When we talk about the value proposition we bring to retail or that we bring to our suppliers, it's as their vendor. And in the case of our suppliers, they're legally obligated to have that vendor, but we still want to be their first choice. And in the case of our customers, you're exactly right. It's it's here's what I'm doing for you. And I've got to have the integrity to uphold your business and do things right for you. I've got to have better capacity to get the job done. I better be more efficient and, and cheaper and I better come with the quality. Um, and that's a great mentality for our, our delivery reps and our sales reps to adopt when they're out there in the account, especially on the delivery side to be thinking about. I'm essentially a vendor here. Am I doing this at the best possible way and with the integrity and capacity and price advantages that make it worthwhile for the customer and and a value in for our suppliers as well. What a great perspective. I hadn't considered that sometimes sometimes the vendor is us. What a great point. I was, I was going to actually agree with you, Dustin, because I read that part of the, the chapter as if I was reading it as one of my accounts and thinking of us, JJ Taylor, as their vendor. And just all these different things from the price to quality. I mean, some of these things I actually want my accounts to read. So they could, you know, when it talks about being firm but fair with vendors and not having a reputation of being a bully, I'm like, uh, I should print this out for some of my accounts. <laughs> be dropping off your book. Yeah. 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 I'll be like, just read two page 271. Just read that page. <laughs> Chris is going to be printing out this chapter and I'm going to hand you this card. Just read this over. I'll be back next week. Very cool. Other, yeah, I, I again, Chris couldn't agree with you more. I think it, to think of ourselves and as the vendor and, and put ourselves in our, our customer's shoes, um, are we delivering on the integrity, the capacity, the price, the quality? If we're not, what do we do to make sure that we achieve that? Because we are their vendor. That's a, such a great point. Final thoughts on things, three things that successful people never skipped and neither did we. Uh, contracts, collections, or vendors? I think it's simple as being fair, being honest, and maintaining integrity. If you do those three things, you're going to succeed in business. I think that's it. You got it exactly right. Well, thank you all for joining me as always. We'll wrap this one up and call it good. Let me thank my panel of 
book readers one more time. Dustin, thanks for being here. Glad to have you with us. Thanks for having me again, Jeff. Uh, my pleasure. Lisa, thanks for joining us this week. Oh, thank you. Dan, thank you for all your insights. You're welcome. Thank you. Suzanne, appreciate you being here and helping us break this down as well. Thanks, Jeff. And Chris, glad to have you as always, my friend. Thank you. Thanks, Jeff. All right. We'll be back again next week. Chapter 14 is on its way. So get ready for that as we continue our exploration of entree leadership in our season one of the Brew University Book Club. I've been your host, Jeff Weaver, and we'll talk to you again next time.